taxes, though right now we don't know where it is. That gate would have been open during the first half of the service and then closed before communion, indicating that there is something substantially different between the chancel and the nave, the place where the altar is, where the sacred mysteries of the Eucharist take place, and the place where the congregation sits. We removed that gate in the 1990s, and I had hoped that there had been some deep theological reason behind it, but I'm assured it was a practical matter, allowing people to go to and fro, especially Father Tom, to get up to the choir. Still, many churches, not just Episcopal ones, have a gate that is closed before communion. I suspect, however, this is done not so much to demarcate sacred space, so much as to provide an extra couple of feet at the communion rail, shoehorning a few more communicants in to speed up communion. In many liturgical traditions, Roman, Lutheran, Orthodox, our own, having a way to separate the sanctuary from the nave has been part of the architecture and theology since the earliest days. Many churches have screens, structures that go to the ceiling but allow the congregation to see into the chancel. In our own city, you can go to Trinity or the cathedral to see examples. These rood screens, these communion rails, have been one way to indicate the terrible importance, the awe-inspiring mystery of the Holy Eucharist, the seriousness with which we take it. Now, our modern American sensibilities don't love this. There's something about us that does not love a wall, as Robert Frost said. We rankle against the idea that there should be a demarcation between the holy, sorry, and the profane. <laughs> so much modern church architecture, excluding Orthodox churches, dispenses with a communion rail or a rood screen. But of course, there have been many ways of fencing the table throughout the history of the larger church. Many denominations only allow you to take communion if you are part of that denomination or even of that particular parish church. Some require sacramental confession before communion. Others have rules about worthiness of life. One cannot be divorced and remarried or gay and in a relationship or be pro-choice and receive communion in some churches. There are some churches that historically have fenced the table in a very literal way. In Presbyterian Scotland, congregants used to have to receive a token on Saturday from the parish proving that they were worthy to receive communion. On Sunday, the table, literally surrounded by a fence with gates to either, at either end to let people in, would be open only to those who had their tokens. Needless to say, we've moved far, far from that practice. In fact, for most of the history of the Anglican Church, we have not fenced the table, 
despite our communion rails. Rather, we have practiced open communion since the time of Queen Elizabeth I, who insisted that all people, as long as they are adult, baptized and confirmed, or desirous and ready to be confirmed, be invited to communion. Because Holy Communion was meant to be an, the ultimate instrument of inclusion, especially during a time of worship wars and denominational wrangling. And of course, since our 1979 Book of Common Prayer, the only requirement for communion is baptism, the sacrament by which we become members of the body of Christ. And there are many in our denomination who think even that is too restrictive. Today, in the Episcopal Church, we focus much more on opening gates than on fencing the table. But whether we fence the table or not, have open communion or not, even move to communion without baptism or not, whether we have communion rails or rude screens or church in the round with the altar on the floor surrounded by the people, our entire church service points to the great mystery of the Holy Eucharist, preparing us to be worthy of the sacrament we are about to receive through songs of praise, teaching through scripture and preaching, confessing our faith with the creed, praying for the world, the church, and one another, and finally, maybe most importantly, through the sign of peace. For we do not want to partake of the bread and the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So we orient ourselves toward God, confess our sins, make peace, even if only symbolically. We do not so much fence the table in whatever manner in order to protect the blessed sacrament. After all, to quote Mark Gastineau, Jesus is a big boy and can take care of himself. No, rather, we fence the table, we prepare ourselves, try to ensure that we help prepare others in order to protect those of us taking communion. For St. Paul tells us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. What is this unworthy manner? Well, for Paul writing this letter to the church in Corinth, there seem to be two particular issues, how we treat one another and how we treat the sacrament. With regards to the first, the Corinthians are bringing social distinctions into the body of Christ. The rich members of society come to church early because they don't have to work like the poor members. They're gobbling up all the food at the communion table, leaving only leftovers for the poor and banishing them to the outer rooms. 
This class distinction for meals was common enough at that time for other social gatherings, but Paul makes clear this is not how the body of Christ is to behave. The Eucharist declares a new covenant, uniting individual members into the one body of the church. If the Corinthian church, if we, allow the distinctions in the world to pervade our time, our community of church, then the Eucharist is not a meal that remembers or regathers Christ in the body of the community. Paul fences the table by making clear that only those willing to shed their social distinctions, willing to be at peace with and in communion with all the members of the body of Christ are worthy of the body of Christ. Paul also reminds the Corinthians of how he and they received the Lord's Supper, how Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, gave thanks, broke it, then said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We still say those words. And then Paul warns, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, this sacrament is not only for you, not only for me, not only for your healing, but also for the life of the world. By participating, we proclaim our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a profession of faith, a moment of evangelism and witness. Paul fences the table by warning the Corinthians that what they do is intimately tied to what they believe, that they should examine their hearts and consciences before partaking in the supper of the Lamb. And so, on this feast of Corpus Christi, we might ask ourselves, are we prepared to eat the bread and drink the cup in a worthy manner? We must ask ourselves, for the church will not, since we do not fence the table. The only provision we have in the Episcopal Church for fencing the tables when someone's living a notoriously evil life then I'm allowed to speak to you privately and ask you to refrain until you repent. I still have to tell the bishop. So we must ask ourselves the question, as Paul advises the Corinthians to do, are we prepared to receive the sacrament not only for our own solace and pardon, but also to be strengthened in our own belief and witness? Are we at peace with others in our lives so that we might receive the peace of Christ?
we must search our own consciences, true. But even as we too, we are also to remember that the Eucharist, Christ's body broken for us, Christ's blood shed for us, is not a prize for the perfect, but it is spiritual food and it is spiritual medicine. If we find that we are unworthy or that we worry that we are and truly who isn't, perhaps we might pray before we come forward the words taken from the humble centurion who trusted Jesus all those years ago. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the words and my soul shall be healed. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>